Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. I'm Trisden. And I'm Ray. What we hope to do here is find a little bit of middle ground on some of these extremely polarizing social and political issues. Welcome everybody to Extreme Common Sense. How's it going, Ray? Hello, Tristan. Man, look at this new studio. Yeah, so it's still a bit of a work in progress because uh, yes, we are in a new place and we'll see how it sounds. But this is the first time we've actually been intimate with each other in a while. This is it, yeah. It's been nothing but uh, like, what's it called? Riverside shows for weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like being intimate with you. And you know what? That's something that you always say with a hand gently caressing my thigh. I'll it's be a, honest, I don't hate it. It's a very small studio we're in. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know what all these like um, torso level holes in the wall are for. Oh, no. Is that? I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> so you never know what happens here. But yeah, so we got the new studio. We're here at Bad Wolf Gaming, so sort of the Bad Wolf Gaming Studios. Also promoting the Front Porch Studios uh, with our man Troy at FrontPorchStudios.com and my buddy Aaron at Berea Pond. So it's nice to be here. We are uh, we do have some commercials for these guys in the works, and we appreciate their patience as we've stuttered through thanking them for the last uh, several months. And uh, look forward to having those done soon. And, of course, Nate with Stove Leg Media. Uh, we could not do these shows without Troy and Nate, and we certainly would be less – we would be having less fun doing these shows without Bad Wolf and Free Pond because we would not be getting compensation. So true. Yeah, that is true. So, and this is a bit of a, a mix and match show. I think I just pulled a few things from the news that I thought might be fun to talk about and sort of get your thoughts on it. So we can get to that. And uh, before that, we could just catch up, man. It's good to see you in person. Yeah, likewise. Absolutely. The weather's taking a little turn. Uh, nice turn. I love this time of year. It's cool. I think it's, I don't know, man, 72 or something today. Yeah, pretty perfect. I think I'm going to sneak out and golf tomorrow. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So it's be beautiful. I bought a Callaway uh, wedge at a junk store this weekend, so I need to get up uh, with you and beat that out at a range or something. So it's a little place in Berea. I don't want to say the name. No, I get that. Right, right, right. But right. Uh, they, uh, they just have a bunch of junk, and they had a brand new Callaway. It's an A wedge. Yeah. I've never had an A-wedge. I usually have the sand or the... You What's know, an A-wedge? I don't know, but it looks it's similar to a sand wedge. Really? But yeah, I want to get out and hit it around, see, see what it does. So technical. It's like when uh, Lucas, who I work with, and Donnie, who's one of the better bowlers, start talking bowling. And honestly, God, Luke, uh, uh, Tristan, they could be talking rocket science, you know, the angle, the pitch. I, I tell you what, I actually, somewhere in my notes, I wrote something down one time because I knew I would never... Remember, this is live. Okay, how about this? I, I just text because I'm like, what are you guys talking about? So they were in there talking about bowling balls and the higher RG and a lower differential with a, which affects the flare. Oh, wow. A higher RG and a lower differential with effect, which affects the flare. Right? Yeah. Like, this is fucking bowling, man. <laughs> but the two of them get going on bowling and it's like, but not a clue, right? Right. And it's the higher RG and the differential. A lot of those things, like with baseball, it used to be like you put the guy in that hits good, and now it's oh, like he has yeah. wins above replacement by you know this. And oh man, it's just all the new stats. It's insane. And and I guess they're playing by it now. Did you see where they are? And I think this is great. Raymond disagrees with me. My son, they are essentially out on the ship next year. I did see that, and I do kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a fan because to me, it changes the integrity of the game. Yeah, people say, yeah, you load up nine. What's the difference? Just bump down the third baseline. But the game is developed in a particular way. So, sure, play by it. You know, it's- I kind of like that. I'm, I'm with you. And, and it's kind of old school. I mean, Jesus Christ, Ted Williams would have added 420 lifetime without the shift, right? It, it just kept going and going and going. Yeah. Well, I don't even know how much they did it back in his time. It's really a I think that's when it started. Into, really with Ted. Was it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because he was too stubborn to hit the ball down the third baseline. Yeah. He probably could have. No problem. But, yeah. Uh, and baseball be heating up because, um, of course, the problem with all the wild cards is, like, the uh, Mets and Braves have one of the great pennant races going. But he, they both make the playoffs. So, yeah, you know, it's not like the loser goes home. Must be nice to have a team that doesn't lose and go home like our Reds. Yeah. But you do get uh, the bye. There's two byes. So that's huge. 
Very much. Because that's what they've moved to. Six teams in each league make the playoffs. The top two get a bye, and then the third division winner plays the lowest wild card of the two middle wild cards, and then they move on from there. So to get a bye is huge. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And that is a pretty good segue, actually, to one of the things I was going to ask you about. We didn't intentionally talk baseball, but I briefly mentioned this to you over the weekend on a text message. But I was very curious if you had any thoughts. Yeah. Over these, the fans that could potentially catch and may, and may have caught Albert Pujols' 700th home run and Ju- Aaron Judge hitting uh, for a single season record with, uh, you know, 60, 61, 62, et cetera. Every ball he hits out of the park at this point is a $100,000 ball. Mm-hmm. Albert Pujols' 700 uh, home runs, probably a two, $300,000 ball at least. Now, how do you verify that? You go immediately and get it verified. You take it to who? They actually do it in the stadium. Oh no! Sure, so, like, you'll take it. Uh, you know, to somebody in the stadium, they'll slap a sticker on it. Oh wow! And probably put some kind of uh, black light information on it, and yeah, you just you take it like that. So it was interesting because apparently the guy who caught Judge's 60th in Yankee Stadium, and then the dude in St. Louis who caught Alberts, uh, two two different things. The guy readily turned it over to Aaron, and I think they did something for him. Yeah. But Paul Holtz himself, who's always been a class act, said a great... Did you see what he said? I did. It was great. It was. It, basically that, you know what? Souvenirs are for the fans. They're for the fans. Yeah. That's his, not mine. Yeah. Which, and I kind of agree with Paul Holtz. You know, I, I, I thought a lot, of it, a lot about this, and I think as a younger guy, I very much would have been on the side of, man, let's get that player his ball. Let's get right, seven, right, 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 right. But as you get old, a little more jaded. Well, when you think about it, and I don't know if it's jaded, but <laughs> at what other point in in American life would you see somebody that's worth, say, $300 million, and you're, say, a guy making a hundred grand a year, you know, and you're getting by, you're doing fine. That's life-changing money for you. That's two years of changing your whole life. You can right. travel the world. I mean, you don't have to work. You know, you pay off your mortgage or somewhat. I mean, it's a much bigger deal for that fan. Right. Whereas Pujols, he would appreciate it. It's pretty cool. Now, what about a fan who just kept it because he wanted it as a showpiece? Say, hey, there's Albert Pujols' 700th home run ball. Which is pretty awesome to do that, too. But again, that's true. So there's another question. So here, here's a couple of things that I thought. One reference you'll definitely have. The other, you might. But if you just had conversation pieces throughout American pop culture, I think, like, what would maybe the coolest would be, um, would be, um, Jesus, Judy Garland. Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Who, Dorothy. Would be Dorothy slippers. If you had the actual sure. slippers of Dorothy oh, wow. in your living room under glass, of, like those are Dorothy slippers. Yeah, that's pretty priceless because oh. everybody has that reference. I'm sure. And yeah. the other one is going to be more my generation than yours. But Jackie Gleason's Hunter Honeymooners bus suit, bus outfit that he wore. If you happen yeah. to find those two, now I, at the Smithsonian they've got Archie Bunker's chair. Uh, and that you can see, which is pretty famous, right? My chair. For sure. So, one of the things in American pop culture that would be pretty cool. Oh my God! Well, there's a ton of sports stuff. I mean, anything of Babe Ruth ball. I mean, how how often is an autograph so, Babe Ruth ball used in popular culture? Uh, Vince and I took the kids before he passed away. Took Johnny and Raymond up to the University of Toledo, where Bobby Smith's nephew. Uh, Barry Church was playing safety. And Barry went on and played about eight years in the NFL. He was a hell of a football player. Came out of Toledo, undrafted free agent, and hooked up with the Cowboys. And as I say, was there eight years. So two things about that trip. One was uh, uh, Toledo. The shirt said Toledo Rockets, and then on the back it said, "If you can't beat us on the field, beat us off." <laughs> and Johnny wanted one of them when he was like 10, but he was like, you're not getting that shirt. Um, That's pretty great. Yeah, that was cool. But the other thing was we're driving home from that trip, and somehow we had John Rysick, who you know on cell phone, and we had, we had taken the sports trip. John, oh, cool sports trip. One thing leads to another. I guess he's on a speakerphone, and the conversation turned to, and two kids are in the back. It's me and Vince in the front. They have no interest. But the conversation turns to what would be the coolest sports piece that you could have. Somebody said the ball that went through Buckner's legs, Babe Ruth home run, a couple of different things, right? And John thinks for a minute, he goes, I think it would be Ted Williams' frozen head. (laughs) (laughs) Vinny was laughing so hard, he almost drove off the road because apparently Ted's head is frozen somewhere. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I've actually read... It would be a hell of a souvenir. Man, and I don't know if this is true, but I read that his whole body was frozen, but due to some type of electrical issue... The body dis, uh, 
started you know, to disintegrate? Started to yes. Uh, whatever. It's what's called. it called when your body once you die, then you start to old age. No, no, when you're, <laughs> you're dead and you're in a field. Your decompose. Body decompose. That's like Beethoven is no longer composing. He's decomposing. He de- yeah. Indeed. So yes. So that's the deal. Supposedly, part of his body had to be thrown away. So. Oh. Just the brain is left. Well, Walt Disney, right? Isn't he supposed to be frozen think, somewhere? That's right. And what, how big is your fucking ego to freeze you? Yeah. It's pretty amazing. You, or you've just got a deep fear of death, which I can relate to a little bit. Oh, yeah. Not deep a, fear of death. I'm not a big fan. Well, nobody's a fan. They say that's one of the curses of uh, humankind is that we live our entire lives with a rec- recognition of our own demise. But, um, And I completely understand the fear, but I also realize that it's common. And, and see, here's what I think, Tristan. How many souls have died in the annals of humans? Billions. Billions. I, how many will die even today? Several hundred thousand? Probably, yeah. Okay. So to me, evolution being what it is, it has to give you, the organism knows that this is coming. It has to give you some really, I don't think death is awful. I don't think it's this, because it's so so natural, and evolution sort of is what it is, so it's got to kind of prepare you in some way. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's a lobe in your brain that we haven't discovered. Yeah. That gives you a lot of infinite peace at the end. I think so, yeah. yeah I, I don't think that, you know, it's bad, but the dread is more so than the death itself. So, slightly off topic, here we go. So, I've got one story I can tell you. I texted Tristan earlier today, we're thinking about a topic, and I said, well, one kind of inadvertently came up in the office where I work, where a lot of this sort of emanated from, which was there were four or five of us in there talking about our various injuries. Now, I broke a, the only broken bone I ever had was a pinky, but I've had a series of stitches, other things, or even the procedures you've had. I had kidney stones and a heart catheterization, so that would maybe make for a somewhat eerie but decent podcast. Um, but the other might be near-death experiences. The only one that, for me, that was really, really close was whitewater rafting on the Gully River in West Virginia. I may have told you this, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's class five rapids. It's the real deal, but they try and scare the shit out of you when you're driving out there. And it's about like a 12 mile, and a lot of it is floating, but there's five or six spots where the rapids are running and boom, I went out in one of those spots and I came up under the raft and obviously I was panicking a bit and I pushed off and I still didn't come up and I swear on my mother's grave, Tristan, that there was this moment of peace where I thought to myself, okay, this is it. And that's probably when I popped back up, ironically, because I stopped fighting. Right. But it wasn't terrible. That's all I can tell you. Like, yeah. it wasn't like, ah, I mean, it was for a moment, but then I was like, okay, this is it. And yeah. it was sort of peaceful. That's funny. And that's an actual true story. It's not a people say, oh, drowning must be terrible. But, I mean, if you think about it, you spend the first nine months of your existence in fluid. Our bodies are, what, 80% water. Sure. So, you know, all life, some people believe all life climbed out of the water. So Yeah. And I would give you a similar story to that. I, I had one that's not quite as terrifying. But uh, when I was in high school, I did um, some, some zip lining through my JROTC experience. And I was pretty scared of heights. And we had to just jump off this ridge, you know, the 100-foot drop. And I just knew that I was going to die. <laughs> And I was just so scared walking up, and I was just, you know, I knew I was going to do it, but I knew, like, and I just yeah. stood there, and I was like, oh, I'm going to die. And so I'm just petrified. And I walk up there, and I look down, and I just see this, you know, 100-foot drop, and I just was so peaceful. I said, oh, well, is what it is. And in that moment, I was fine. So it was like all day, and I'm sure death is somewhat like that. Like, I think so. You fucking feared all this time, and then yeah. you go, and it's fine. Isn't it's that bizarre? And, and the, a weird thing, too, uh, with my mom passing, it made me less fearful of death because it was almost like knowing that, you know, if mom can do it, I can do it almost. And that's a weird kind of, you know, traditional thing, but it just, that's how I felt. And I think sometimes it's the dying, not the death to watch somebody fight cancer and go down. Yeah. yeah, It's the dying when the death actually comes, it may be perhaps peaceful, but sometimes it's the dying, not the death. Definitely. You know, all right, so this was a pleasant topic. Let's wrap it up and get out of here. That's that was cool. All right. <laughs> so, but, but what's your stance, though? The judge, Pujols, home run balls. You catch those things, you well, back, or are you going to make them? I, I, no, I think you made a fair point about the, the money. You know, life, 250 grand wouldn't necessarily be life-changing for me, but it would certainly be a comfort. I'd probably retire. It would, uh, as you say, pay off the house. Yeah, that's to Albert Pujols, you know, whatever. So, um, 
No, I, I get that. I think that that would, and I also think the age thing is cool. Well, here, here's sort of an example of that. My, uh, I grew up with John Meisner, and, and, and here's a funny story about the Meisner. So John and I were both born in 1960. My dad was 40 when he had me, and John Sr. was 18 when he had Johnny. So, so fast forward 10 years, we're in fifth grade in 1970. John and his wife Evelyn are 28, and my dad is 50, and my mom's like 44, 43. And here's a funny aside. Um, they were the first people to put in an in-ground pool. Probably about 1970. Worst sunburn burn I ever got in my life. In that fucking pool all day, no thought to sunscreen. Nice. My father never picked me up from anywhere. We took our bikes, we walked, whatever, whatever. And now it took me several years to think back on this. Evelyn Meisner, who would have been 28 when I was 10, was fucking smoking hot. And she'd be out there in her bikini. And all of a sudden, the old man popped his head over the fence. They were like, hey, Buzz, you doing okay? <laughs> and I'm like, had nothing to do with me. He wanted to see how that sly son of a gun. And that's the truth. Three or four times. Like, he never checks on me. He had, it wasn't me he was checking on. But that's a good story. Uh, the 1969 World Series. Mets. Old John, who's only old John, 19 or 29. Whatever, 28. He's got tickets for his nine-year-old son. And it was like, I don't know, it was 69. I think somebody offered him 100 bucks for two tickets or 80 bucks. Enormous. Probably $7 tickets. John would have taken the money. The, the older guy, the father. But he did what I think is a cool thing. He turned to Johnny, his son, and said, what would you like to do? And he said, I want to go to the baseball game. In the baseball game, they went. Nice. Yeah. So that age thing plays a role, too. Sure. Now, I will say, like, that would probably be the equivalent of a grand. So, if, yeah, if you're exactly. talking about a grand, yeah, you probably take the, the experience. But if you're talking, man, fair of a million dollars to pay off your house and worry a lot less on yeah. a month-to-month basis yeah. or something, then that would be for a baseball. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I know I take that point fully, but it was it was interesting because, again, the guy in New York gave Judge his ball and, and, I, and didn't ask for anything. He did get something. Then that other guy took that ball and said, and said no, no, Albert, if you want it, it's going to cost some money. Yeah, but again, like, for Albert to pay a quarter of a million dollars or Judge, I mean, it's nothing. You know, that's a Rolls Royce they would have bought in the offseason just for shits and giggles. Yeah, absolutely. No, and you're right. You know, but pretty big deal. You're 100% right. So, uh, my buddy Paul Dapkus has, uh, to Paul and Kathy Dapkus have, Cody and Alex, who are Gabrielle uh, and Raven's age, basically. And they, they used to do something that I thought 20s, really cool, 20s. Uh, uh, Paul and Kathy would find out the hotel that the visiting team was staying in, and they'd book it. It was expensive, but they'd do that like once a season, whether it was the Cardinals, the Cubs, whatever. I'm sure you can find this downtown hotel across from the ballpark in Cincinnati, right? Sure, which I have. Okay. I do that. Okay. Yeah. So what, which hotel do you know? It, um, I don't know the name. I don't know where it's at. And it, because it used to be the Millennium. Okay. And then they changed it from the Millennium to the one that's just kind of down on the corner. And I can never remember the name okay. unless I'm online. But it's, it's right there. Exactly. Pete Roseway or whatever. Close yet. So um, Paul is in there. Not No Kathy. Paul's in there with the two boys. And this is the way Paul tells the story. Fucking elevator door opens and they're probably eight and ten, six and eight, old enough to recognize players. Baseball was their thing. And who gets on? It sounds like a cliched story, but it's true. Albert Pujols. And Paul said, it's going to be a spam risk. Yeah, sorry. Paul said, um, Cody was pulling on it. Like, that's how Pujols, how Pujols. And Albert obviously picked up on it. He said, how are you boys doing? Mr. Pujols, we're good. Mr. Pujols, we're good. Don't worry about Mr. Pujols. Just call me Albert. That's awesome. And he said, couldn't have been a nicer guy. Seems like, like a nice Not guy. a bit of ego. Well, he got all kinds of kudos when he, they had the old timers in 50 years for Stan Usual, and he rode in the cart with him. And Stan was an old man, and he was cold, and Albert took his jacket off, put it on Stan Usual. Yeah. People were like, nah, this is just a solid guy. Man. Seems like a pretty good dude. Now, yeah. again, there's never been any stories about the steroids. Was there ever rumors? I think there was rumors that he may have been older than he said. I think. Oh, yeah. that's right. Everybody sort of takes a little bit of a steroid hit just because of the era. Right. But I do think he cheated on his wife, pregnant, maybe, and they divorced her. No, 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 no. Cancer treatment. She was going through cancer treatment. He left her for somebody else. Oh. So that's kind of a. Like Newt Gingrich. Yeah, kind of a Newt story there. So that's kind of. 
you know, don't you let the wife get through cancer one way or the other before you then oh, decide to shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Tristan. That just ruined your hero <laughs> for you. Fucking Albert Paul. That's bastard. But no, by all accounts, I think he's good with fans. Good Can't guy. judge by somebody by their worst debt, right? That's true. And, you know, marriages are so complex, too. They like, are. I always say no judgment. Yeah, yeah. And whatever people decide to do in their marriage, they're fucking hard. Right. Like, marriages are a lot of work. They are. They yeah, are. Even on the good days, they're, you know. Yeah. yeah are there good days? Well, I've, I've had three <laughs> in <laughs> 14 years. My dad's old joke was uh, 30 years of marriage, and it only seems like yesterday. And what a miserable day yesterday was. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're going to get to an actual freaking topic. You want to talk about something else here? Okay, well, here's a good question for you. And I, I stole this from uh, some of the Sunday news shows. Herschel Walker running for Senate Senate in Alabama, in right? Georgia. Georgia, okay. So he's got a, a debate coming up with Raphael Warnock. Warnock Is that the yeah. guy's name? So, <laughs> so while being interviewed, Herschel Walker says, Oh, he's just going to whip my ass in this debate because I'm dumb and I'm not very good at this. So Warnock's going to take me to school. He's a preacher. He can talk well. He's good at politics. Now, I'm just pulling my fucking hair out like, why are you running for anything if this is how you feel? Right. And aren't those important qualities to have as right. a leader in politicians? Stephen Douglas nor Abraham Lincoln would have ever said to one or to the other, you know what? No sense debating you because I'm an idiot. You're just going to slaughter me. So then you have to ask, and this is a really, really dicey question. And I've said this. I've asked it for 10 years, Tristan. What is the fucking attraction in our country to stupidity? And it does seem to be one party, not the other. Sorry to my mega Republican friends, but like this celebration of, oh, I never read a book. Well, fuck not reading a book. Don't tell me that. You're an idiot if you don't read a book. Yeah, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts to hear that because, I, you know, this goes The celebration to, of idiocy seems right. to be big in this country. It's, you know, Why? went back to the it, it seems to be part of the divide. It does. It's smart you know, people are stupid. Just call it spade a spade. The, the, the eggheads, the Ivy Towered eggheads, the Ivy, the yada yada. You should be wanting to emulate them, not feeling that they're too smart. And I'm, you know, stupid's a good thing. Right. Well, I mean, and I get the idea of wanting someone that can relate. Yeah, playing regular guy. I get that. Yeah, yeah. But don't you want the smartest guy in the room yes. that's dealing with Vladimir Putin yes. over some nuclear fucking weapons? Do you want the dumb guy that's right. going to get treated like a rude? Right. I, I don't. I, to and, me, and obviously that was tested by somebody. Walker didn't just say that out of the fucking whole cloth because none of do, unfortunately. That doesn't happen anymore. So somebody said, "You know what? Here's an idea. Let's just, just appeal to the fucking idiot. Man, you know, and I know the I know the people as do you who would say, "Oh, see, he's one of us, regular guy." Yeah, well, we don't need regular guys. I got plenty of regular guys. I want somebody who's been to fucking Stanford, Harvard, you right. know, Yale, running, making those decisions. They are smarter than us. Give me Reagan and Clinton that are going to be the smartest fucking guy in the room. Yeah, it reminds me of hey, you're a hey Reagan. He was quick. Reagan was quick. He, had a, he, had he was a, quick, he had a, he was a great, smart guy. He had a great wit. Yes. Yeah. And he was truly a people person. Yeah. Um, do you remember the episode of Andy Griffith's show where Aunt B was going to run for town council? I do. And she yes. was so excited. Yes. And then she gets in the d debate with Howard, who she's running against. Right. And he just takes her to school. And right. it kind of reminded me of that. And Aunt B right. took the credit of 1960s Hollywood, was smart enough to say... Howard is much better for this job because right. he's smarter and right. he gets it and he knows the town more than me. Right. So I'm going to step aside and, and let this guy who's smarter you go. take this role. And I just everything goes back to Andy Griffith. It does, does. but that was yeah, that was common sense in the '60s, and now here we are in 2020. Well, common sense. There is no common sense in the '60s. Common sense has existed since Adam and Eve, and still exists today. It doesn't change. Right. And you're exactly right, man. That's just the fucking stupidest thing that you and intentionally. But then again, you have to ask: To whom does that appeal? You know, because people like you are going to say, "Jesus," but there are people out there who say, "Damn, I'll say I'm going to put a country accent on it <laughs> only because it's Georgia." There you only, go. Only because. But, it's do, we, do agree that Georgians are dumb. <laughs> yeah, no. Georgians, yes. Only because it's Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, it's a damn right, man. That's my guy. Fucking Herschel. He played at the university and he's dumb like me. I don't get it, man. It's so true. <laughs> but it drives me crazy. Like, because I'm not a smart guy, but I strive to be. And I get the appeal of being smart and being knowing what's going on in a situation. I mean, my brother laments this all the time. Tommy's 35 years in the classroom, and he is not an Ivy League educated guy, though his son went to Yale. Tommy probably could have. He went to a state school and 
was like, we were at a Springsteen concert years back, and he ran into Matt Tenji, who he graduated high school with, and Tenji had graduated from, uh, from Cornell. And Tommy's like, hey, yeah, we were polite while we talked, and we're walking away, he's like, oh, Cornell, I was smarter than that prick. But um, we had no direction. You know, his mom had passed, our mom had passed, dad was done, so Tommy went to a state school, but he's been teaching 35 years, teaches AP kids, a lot of whom wind up in the better schools. But he laments all the time this apparent American celebration of fucking stupidity, like idiocracy with Terry uh, Cruz. Cruz. You know, is that the future for this goddamn country? And I told you that overseas they look at us that way. You know, that great story I heard in Ireland from Eddie. Right. You're pretty smart for an American. Yeah, you know, for an American, you've got a lot of wisdom. <laughs> for an American. Right. But, but I think that that is fair for a large group of folks that want to say, you know, and I get, here's an argument that you'll see a lot of folks on the right make, which I agree with. Everybody doesn't have to go to college. You don't have to go to college to be smart. Right. You know, pick a trade. America needs tradesmen. You're going to make a lot more money right. as a plumber than you are, uh, you know, a, a four-year educated guy who works a Cracker Barrel with no skills. Or even teaches. Sure. So, so there, there is a lot of merit to that. But also to vilify college or to say, you know, right. it's, it's bad or learning exactly. is bad or reading exactly. is bad. Exactly. Ah. Because those two things work hand in hand. That is such a great point. Again, I've said this to you four or five times. You make better points than I do. That's why I like doing the show with you. So, so that's the key. It is perfectly fine for the pointy-headed eggheads to say, you know what, tradesmen are cool. You know, see students run the fucking world. I got to have my roof fixed. I don't know how to do it. My car, great. But in turn, they have to say, you know what, those are those people have a lot going on, and I respect what they're doing because they make the world work in another way. Not. Oh, those damn sons of bitches are too fucking smart. That's a great point. And, and we've reached that place where the fucking idiocy gets gets celebrated. Right. And that's really bad. And I feel like a lot of that started, and again, this is just my lifetime, so probably it started before this. But with when George W. Bush would say a lot of dumb things and just he sounded not as smart as Al Gore and you know, literally the whole campaign. And it would be it would start to be celebrated. Well, he's a common guy, he's just like us. I like that he's, you know, saying all this stuff. So was it is before it, that or well I don't know. Is it part of it that and this again it's gonna sound like I'm picking on all conservatives as brilliant conservatives. Agreed. No, and not a, only George Will or Cal Thomas and on and PJ O'Rourke and on and on and on. Uh both of them I think passed away Will still with us. But um Conservatism at is at its core, I believe, is just an easier concept to explain because it's and, and a lot of conservatives are going to disagree with this, but I think this was the beauty, and I haven't mentioned him in ten shows, so it's fine time to. I think this was the beauty of Limbaugh. He conflated the two. To me, conservatism is an entity of the heart. Liberalism is an entity of the brain, meaning that conservatism often is guttural. It's mom and apple pie and fly the flag, and liberalism gets very deep. The, the best story I can tell to sort of highlight what I'm trying to say here was that one you know. It was like the 14th of September, 2021, uh, 2001, after the bombing, and they did that uh, underground concert that Springsteen was headlining. You know, the country was in turmoil. And I watched that. Vince didn't make it. So there were five Marines in me. There was Rex and Alan Stockard, both Marines, my buddy Tony Butler, and then two other friends of Rex and Alan who I'd never met before. Five Marines in me watching the show. They're all music fans, great guys. And I, and I asked this question. Too soon, I know. Man, you guys ever think about what would prompt those guys to fly that plane into the building? Fuck no. Fuck those towel heads. Screw them. God damn it. Fuck, fuck, fuck no. Okay, I get that. But I'm just thinking a little more broadly. And I think that is the that that is really a lot of what the liberal approach is. It's that broad approach to look at both things. You remember Country Boy with a microphone at Wallingford, David Adams? That might have been before you. He had before the same conversation. Yeah. Ultra, ultra right winger. Kelly loved him. David was okay. His claim to fame is he had interviewed Hank Aaron, which was really Ooh, that's nice. But he did this ultra right wing show. He was doing Fox really before Fox hit, or I guess it was Fox like. And I said the same thing to him. Couldn't give a shit less what they were thinking about. Well, you're a narrow asshole. It's, there's, it's fair. And so, and so sort of. Not on the 14th of September. September. Right. But, yes. but some of that. Narrow-mindedness lends itself to the affiliation with 
thinking that the others are, they're too broad for me. There's too much. I don't want to tax myself thinking too goddamn much. This is, I think my nephew does it. He once said to me, Johnny is a very bright kid. And I've often said this about John. Get myself in a lot of trouble here, but that's okay. That is the way I feel. John was much more influenced by his Madison County redneck friends than he was by his fairly progressive late father. But that was a conscious choice John made. A, he needed to fit in here. And B, he said, oh, buzz. You know how much easier it is being a redneck because people think you're people so think people think you're not much, and if you do more, you surprise them. And I'm like, God damn it, John! But you're, you're a fucking smart kid. Yeah. Celebrate the brain you have. Don't buy into this other nonsense. Yeah, no, that's such a good point, and, and I think you see a lot of that. And that's why I think even the smart people that you see around town, like you know, they'll be spitting tobacco and wearing overalls, but you'll have a five minute conversation. Oh, this motherfucker's playing a role because he doesn't want to seem, you know, too smart and, and like right, yeah, right, like, right. And there's a certain beauty, I guess, in all that. I'm not, I'm not. Dis- I guess I am disparaging people, but I'm not intending to. It just frustrates me that people. I think you just hit it. People that are bright. There's some idiots in the world, regardless yeah. of where you are. That you know. They get by, and as as uh, as the great man might have been Jesus said, uh, but it was somebody else. I think you know everybody has a story. Don't uh, even the ignorant, and don't blow anybody off just because you feel that you're better than them. And I probably sounded in the last ten minutes like I think I find myself better than people. I don't. I just wouldn't. I don't. What I don't like is the the easiest way to put it is I haven't read a book since high school. Well, don't tell me that because that's just kind of stupid. Yeah, I agree. And to each their own, I get it. Everybody's not going to have the same interests. But there is a lot of pride taken in, I haven't read a book since high school. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't brag to me by saying No, that's not anything to be proud of. Why don't you just walk up and say, I punch my kids when they act up. Why are you saying that? It doesn't make you a cool guy. But <laughs> but somewhere now in American society, hey, that's cool. Fuck a bunch of books. <laughs> Throw them in the fire. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a wild place. Now, speaking of fuck a bunch of books and throw them in the fire. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> well, you put a hole in the book. But uh, this is one, uh, we like to talk our Trump here a little bit. Chris Christie had a pretty amazing point this week on uh, this week, ironically. <laughs> this week, on this week, week on this What's week. What's that? George Stephanopoulos. I read USA Today today. <laughs> nice. So Chris Christie was saying, like, you know, and I'll get your take on this: that the right is really mad at all the lawsuits around surrounding Trump. Well, they didn't have to do it quite this way. They could have handled Mar-a-Lago different. They're taking him to court for this. They're taking him to court for that. Right. Chris Christie's take now, Chris Christie very much in Camp Trump for a big part of Donald oh, yeah. Trump's, you know, sure. to the White House and during, sure. you know, his presidency, et cetera. Would have loved to have been his VP, I'm sure. Wanted to deeply. Yeah. Is saying uh, that he feels like because he continues to get in public and admit to everything he's doing, it's hard for people like the Justice Department, like the state's attorney general of New York, to not say, you said this, we now have to do something about it. So it's not like it's a witch hunt and they're following him around just trying to, to, you know, find things that he's doing wrong. But if you're telling, you know, 23 million truth social followers that, you know, that, yes, these documents were never unclassified, but I did it with my mind. Of course, the the state attorney or the attorney general is going to say, you can't do that. We've got to look at it now. That was beautiful. Just if I think it, if I think that they're unclassified, if you think that there's, apparently there's a process. (laughs) The declassification process, if I think it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's crazy. So pretty fascinating that Chris Christie, though, is sort of, and I think he's trying to be a, a, a media guy. I think he's trying to look at it pretty balanced, and I thought that was a pretty balanced approach to this. Obviously, yeah. probably is still a future presidential candidate. Well, that's it. They're starting to, yeah, they're starting to line, and, and obviously if it's, if it's not Trump for whatever reason, if they do indict him or he opts out or somebody beats him, then they then they're going to look at filling that void. But uh, I guess for right now, he is still the front runner. Yes, I think Trump. at the moment. Now, Chris Christie, did you know he was the governor of New Jersey? That's where I knew his name. Yes, uh, of course well, I was gone by. Then. I thought you might have known that, but and I'll tell you, remember what? all the shit he took when Obama came after uh, Hurricane Sandy, and he met. Oh with yeah, him, you know. See, you can't. He's the fucking stupid. president. Right. Yeah, stupid. 
I tell you what, though, there, there's a Republican also that I like. Oh yeah, he's a Jersey guy. I, I like Christie. He's a he's a kind of a, a kick ass kind of guy. He I, is. I like him. I like his a lot of his policy. But uh, so, but, but what do you think, though? A pretty fair point that if he oh, would shut the fuck up a little yes. bit, maybe he wouldn't get so much of this. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Well, apparently he's just having a hell of a time getting decent lawyers because the better lawyers are like. Exactly what Christie's saying. Yeah. Not defending a guy who undercuts me at every moment. Right. Well, and then there's there was two things that I saw on that. They said uh, really good lawyers want to help you uh, if for one of two reasons. One, they're going to get a lot of fame and win the case, or they're going to make a lot of money. And Trump notoriously doesn't pay his attorney, <laughs> which is kind of a, like or a, anybody else apparently. That's what they say, which is uh, kind of crazy. So now uh, I guess Uncle Joe is taking another little. Uh, Downturn in the polls, fucking gas prices are going back up, stock market's getting the shit knocked out of it. Let's see what it did today. I mean, jeez, oh, I just gotta stop looking. I just gotta stop looking. I turned 62 a couple of days back, and you know, that's the age of retirement, but it ain't happening. You're supposed to say, right, you don't look 62. 62? Man, here. Thank you, thank you. I was saying 53. Can I read a boring text that's a little long that I sent to my uh, siblings? Absolutely. Okay, so so my siblings are a MAGA conservative or MAGA Republican because there's nothing conservative about them. So MAGA, MAGA Republican sister in New Jersey and my brother, who I referenced before, 35 years in the classroom. We had him on as a guest. Tristan knows him a little bit. Uh, to the left of, of the two of us. Tommy's fairly liberal, but, you know, conservative in some ways. But here's, after just talking about something, they were going back and forth, and I sent this text that says, um, so this is to both of them. It said, it said Tommy often says to you, Rainy, Tommy and Rainy, uh, brother, sister, that you're on the wrong side of everything. But what if he's wrong in that assessment? I often think about the appeal of Trump, and I always say that we who are living in the moment of Donald will have to leave his evaluation to historians. However, we can still analyze it in the moment, just without the lens of history. Are there Americans who, after 200 plus years of democracy, think that it's no longer working? They see changes all around them that are chalked up to progress, but they say progress is ass. All I see is degeneration, and that degeneration has been brought on by too much democracy with its quest for representation and subsequent identity politics that has made issues of, well, everything. I can no longer tell a damn joke without thought of offending someone. I can no longer have political discussions for the same reason. I don't know what to say to the opposite sex without risk of offense, or even if the term opposite sex is correct. I'm told there are 72 genders, and I'm a backward pig if I question such or simply ask for an explanation, and I'm to accept that the choice of who one is is more important than nature or biology, and it's all become too much. Enter Donald Trump, himself a demagogue and a charlatan, but boy howdy did he figure out the appeal of what was stated above. And the Trump uh, and Trump is perhaps merely the conduit for folks who think uh, you, Rini, uh, or can help you, Rini, to reach folks like Tommy. But he was a successful conduit. No one's ever been able to explain to me what "Make America Great Again" actually means, but that's part of the beauty and appeal. That was your point. It can mean different things to different groups, including liberals who say it's inherently racist and backward, but it never actually gets defined. So people who feel as though they see a once great society crumbling say Trump nailed it and he's our guy. We want that guy who gets us back. And damn the fucking democratic process if it gets in the way of getting back the guy who gets it and gets us. It was Ronald Reagan himself who said American freedom is only one generation away from extinction. It may well be that we've reached the place, that place, for I cannot for the life of me understand the hold and sway that Trump has over most of the current Republican Party without thinking that they feel it's time to make a stand against the democratic underpinnings of this country that has allowed its demise. Man, I think that's very, very well said. And I think that's something that Probably you won't hear a lot of people say, but I think even the people in the middle would kind of agree with like you and I, maybe a little bit on here could sit back and say, man, this, uh, you know, this new liberal thing about, um, I don't know, I don't even want to use an example for fear of cancel culture, but we might say we're, we're taking that a little far. We're like to, to say a 13 year old that wants to have a gender identity surgery because at 13 years old, he or she thinks that they're the other gender. So like where somebody on the right might say, man, let's wait a little, little while longer. It's, you know, you certainly hear at least the media will tell you, you hear from the left. Oh, let's go ahead and have that gender change surgery for that 13 year old. Where I think there's a lot of common sense in the middle where 
maybe that's not exactly right. But the Republicans have done a great job of telling everybody on the right that the people they're dealing with on the left is that mom or dad that is 11 or 12 years old. Right. So, you know, we're the farthest left on it. We want right. last-minute abortions for nine months. Right. Which never happens except in very rare cases. Right. You know, risk of the mother. But, no, I, I think there's... I think there's a, the media has done such a good job of telling the people on the right what idiots we are. And those people don't really watch the news. They don't have Democrat friends that they, they talk to and say, oh, okay, you're in the middle, kind of like I am. But the media is portraying you as like Nancy Pelosi's well, by the media, socialist cousin. Right. Exactly. Fox and, and, They're and right wing, right? Newsmax, et cetera. So again, the reality is in reality. But if people listen only to their bubble and their media, then yeah, then it's. 72 genders and they're being forced on their kids at school and they're, you know, they're making their kids be furries and go to the bathroom and, you know, litter boxes at school and the Democrats insist on litter boxes in every bathroom. Of course, as a Republican, you're going to be like, you guys are fucking mad. Right. But it's just not the reality, right? Like most of us are in the middle. Your side has your wackos. Our side has our wackos. And, they, you know, they all need help. Now, that doesn't touch on January 6th and trying to give up democracy. I also feel like that's off the rails no matter what party you're on if you want a demagogue instead of an elected leader. Andrews, then I'm not sure. Someone would have to explain to me, maybe Aaron can do it, but a good conservative has to explain to me, in spite of what you just said and the absolute uh, tearing down of each side for the other and, and certainly Fox News for the left, uh, where is the equivalency on the left uh, for this authoritarian bent that seems to be running now. Yeah, okay. I think you said it once. If AOC got everything she wanted, we'd be burning less fossil fuel and there'd be more money being given out. Like, where right. is the equivalency for authoritarianism from the left? I don't see it. I mean, if it's there, please explain it to me. Man, I'm the same. Like, yeah, you, you could you could list grievances all day with our party, and, and many of which are fair. But yeah, you, you can't say we have a wing of our party, at least that I've seen. Right. That is saying, look, we want our guy, whether he wins or not, because you guys are so fucking stupid, you can't handle the position. I mean, you say it all the time, like, democracy is a place where you're not always going to get a win, and it sucks the day that, the night of that loss, and you're watching your candidate to give a concession speech, and, you know, I, I called Senator Reynolds to tell him, congratulations, oh, boo, no, 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 that he beat me, you know, we try it next time, right? No. Yeah. Fuck, they don't want to try it next time. Yeah. That is when democracy ends. And, and I don't see that coming from only... I see that coming only from one party. Not yeah. And again, to me, and I've probably said this on the show before, it's the same group of people that rally and rally and rally against the participation trophy. You have to fucking <laughs> earn something and you have to win something. Or the same ones going, Gotta earn it. we're not going home because we want to win so bad that we don't care about the amount of votes. And it just, you know, that's another crazy. great point. That person participate fifth place trophies are bullshit. You gotta win it. But our guy just lost the election, but we're not going to admit it. We're going to give it to him. That's and so we did a lot of picking on our right wing friends today. It is obviously because our politics lean left, but there's there's so many good people on the right. That's the other frustrating part. I said to my sister in another text similar to that, why do you allow yourself to be a part of this? I was pretty condescending. Reedy, you're part of my blood. I know you're intelligent. <laughs> so don't fucking, you know, find yourself taking the bullshit that these people blow up your, you know, blow the smoke they blow, you know, question it. Tell them no, but man. Well, here's one, too. We can shit on our party a little bit. Uh, this is this came from uh, Real Time with Bill Maher over the weekend, and I mentioned it to you. It was... Um, Which I didn't see this weekend. You, you missed it. You should watch it if you get a chance. But they're, they're talking about the left. And again, I think a lot of the issues folks have with Democrats are Twitter-driven, and they're not real life. I think people will sit on Twitter behind a keyboard with all the courage in the world, and they're grievance junkies. So they, they're addicted to grievance, sure. and they're just always finding something to be mad about. And there's probably some of that on both sides. But they mentioned the term presentism, and it's holding past historical figures under the microscope of present day. Of present day. Right. So you're saying, well, of course, you know, Christopher Columbus shouldn't have done this or that, but... You're looking at it through a lens of today. Like, it's, you know, you can't look at a fucking caveman and say you shouldn't hit your wife in the back with a stick or whatever because they're cave people. They don't know any better. So I just thought that was fascinating. And I think that's definitely something that our side has completely wrong. Sure. And, and I agree. Think, like, you, I mean, you can look back and, and remember, look, Christopher Columbus, you know, or he's maybe a bad example because he did, did do a lot of bad stuff. 
we have to be able to separate Michael Jackson's music with Michael Jackson. Because if we start holding everybody up, now not everybody's a pedophile. Probably not. Also another maybe not great example. But we do Here, to be able to hold. Him. Here's one, Johnny Cash, because I, I I didn't know that term. Presentism. Presentism. Yeah, but I remember reading something about Johnny Cash appeared on the Muppets 1973, and behind him was a Confederate flag. Okay, it wasn't an issue really. Oh, it wasn't, was what it wasn't. But somebody, a, a modern day millennial, would say, "Oh, I didn't know Johnny Cash was a racist." I didn't know Johnny Cash was a Nazi or whatever, right? Um, No, it was 1973. had the fucking Confederate flag was everywhere. You you have to have some historical context to get. So, yeah. So the kids watch everything in in not real time, but in, you know, Andy Griffith and and Modern Family are happening together in these kids' minds because it's all there on the Internet. Sure. You know? Yeah. And that's (laughs) not fair because just, you know, again... Yeah, and you start to realize how far we've come as a society. I mean, even watch a comedy from 10 years ago and the jokes that are made, you'd be like, oh, shit, you're not saying that. Well, I'll tell you something funny. Were you a madman guy? Madman? Mad madman, I'm sorry. I uh, haven't watched it yet, but I think I would. Well, nor have I. My brother gave it a shot. He said, you know what? Everybody loved a great show. He said, man, I watched like most of the first season and I thought, fuck, if people were actually like that, I really didn't. It wasn't great. So it's early 60s when he and I were both born. And, you know, the secretaries are getting slapped on the ass. The guys drink all they want. It's white men. And he was like, that world was a little bit fucked up. I maybe sort of uncomfortable. I didn't love it. So interesting. Has changed, huh? Now, though. To yeah. me, I, I said, man, those were the good old days. They should have never changed any of that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're canceled. Um, yeah, I guess that's more me than you. You try and uh, hold your powder, but you know, hell, I, well, two things. I figure nobody's listening to us, A. And B, eh, it is a podcast, and I do try to be fair. So, you know, I think you were admonishing me last week a little bit when I went down the racial road, but it wasn't, I wasn't picking on anybody. I was saying that when you're brought up in a fucking 100% white town that's still 100% white, you view the world a particular way. Sure. And you have to fight that. Yeah, and a lot of people don't fight it, Tristan. No, and I, they, I think you they should. just say, "Well, that's the way it is." What God made the white man number one, the black man too. Well, you should get some credit for saying that I have some inherent bias, or I've learned a lot of bias, and I am working on it, and it's not a hundred percent right. So, yeah, the, it is nice to be able to because I think your actual racist folks, your people that are genuinely racist, aren't saying, "Man, I've really got to get better. I really shouldn't have these thoughts, and I really want to view people as equals." Okay. And I think it's fair that you would say that. Okay. So I think there's a difference between hating another race and feeling like people are less than you, and feeling like, "Man, I do have some of these thoughts that I was raised with, and I do have to get better at finding a way to, you know, to eliminate cool. as much of that as yeah. possible." So, I mean, there's something to be said for for being self-aware enough to know that you've got problematic history or things that you shouldn't have done or ways that you shouldn't think. I mean, look, nobody's fucking perfect. And, if, and obviously, I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, that I don't have uh, any prejudices at all and every single person is exactly rich people, poor people are completely equal. Look, we all through life grow and develop and have some bias and we all work on it and try to be better folks. Sure. Yeah, and I think sometimes the whole birds of a feather thing maybe gets on our soul. You know, Vince and I were the best of friends, not just because we moved here from Jersey together and shared a lot of interests and so forth. He was Scotch Irish, I was Irish Irish, English Irish. I mean, there, there, there were we were we were raised a town apart. All of our identities were so similar, and there, there is something to be said for birds of a feather. When you, you know, when you say, I guess another way to put it would be when you see an NFL bench and five white guys are sitting together and five black guys are sitting together, are either, is either group inherently racist or are they just comfortable hanging with those guys? No, one of the weirdest things for me when I came to Berea College, it had such a, a, a reputation for being, you know, a, a lot of black students, a lot of white students, a lot of foreign students. So I was really excited about that because I've, you know, I've always had a, a thirst, I guess, in my mind for being around other people and learning about their cultures and histories and, you know, people that are different than the way I was raised, also in an all-white town, basically. So it was like the most disappointing thing that I saw my first week was you get to Berea College and you walk in the cafeteria and it's completely fucking segregated by the students themselves. Like, all the black kids sit in one spot, all the white kids, you know, know, you've got your athletes that are going to sit in one spot or whatever, and there's, you know, one or two kids that might break that protocol. 
But it's so fucking disappointing that I think there is a com- there's a comfort level comfort based on words of know, exactly. Right. And yeah. I, don't, I don't, it didn't make the black kids racist. It didn't right. make the white kids racist. It's just all these hillbillies from Appalachia showing up versus sure. all these little black kids basically that were all recruited from Alabama. You're just comfortable with what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And again, a lot of these people made lifelong friendships with folks of other races and from other nationalities. But it was, you know, it was completely segregated, and that was definitely something that always sticks with me. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Are we still recording over there? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I wanted to say how long you and I just can bullshit. Can I? Can I say one other thing that might hinge on if if Grant or uh, Nate Haskins or any of my other black friends were here, they might say you racist asshole. That's a terrible thing to say. But here's here's what I would say. I haven't found myself in the company of black folks a whole lot, and. Only with maybe two or three exceptions was I the minority as as a white person. Here's what I would say: I tr- and this may sound trite and condescending. I truly enjoy myself with black folks because I think their love and zest for life is so evident that there's an easy laughter, an easy banter. Language is fucking great. I mean, they gave us rock and roll. Um, and, and there's there's a certain ease, like we were talking about Jewish folks and Irish folks. They've been persecuted so much, they develop these wonderful sense of humor. Say that same thing about black folks. And that is all to their credit, and it's just fun, and the food is good, and the fucking laughter, and it's loud, and it's, you know, frivolous. Or not frivolous, but, um, you know, of, of carefree. Yeah, carefree, and a lot of folly. And this is where I, can, I don't think anybody would be offended by that. This might be... <laughs> However, I would say, when the shit hits the fan, when things go down, they go down hard. And they go down quick. Where there might be a little more negotiation between some other folks, I think the black guys jump to the escalation of the disagreement gets real strong real fast. I think there are two sides of a coin. That same love of life can show itself in a negative way, and boom, all of a sudden you got a confrontation that's bigger than it might need to be. Well, I can say this. Is that at all fair? Well, this is, I wouldn't ever say you would want to say to me, like black folks tend to be, because I think then you're sort of grouping everybody together. But I will say, like, in my experience, having had, you know, black roommates and still hopefully even after this podcast, still have a lot of black friends. One of the things that I've found in my experience with the black folks that I've been around, there a lot of them tend to be very emotional about things. They, they, they care a lot about you. Yeah. You know, they are passionate about what they think. Right. And, you know, whatever, passion. whatever it happens to be. And that would translate over. Like, yes. having played sports with a lot of my black friends, like, if, you know, it can escalate pretty quickly. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and I think that's right. I think the passion, that same but, passion. But, but I must finish that by saying, now, sure. does that mean every black person? Obviously not. In my experience, there is a lot of passion based on a lot of the things that we've shared. So, yeah. It, and, and I think that's, yeah, it's, it's meant as a compliment. Um, but again, it's always dicey when you're a fucking stodgy old white guy talking about black folks, and that's impossible, you know. And I would say nothing. So, and they, they would say it's stodgy old white guys don't know when to shut the fuck up, which right. might be true. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's very true. But yeah, I think yes, I think it's a passion. That's but no, but, but to your point, I think you know, and I, and I hope this is something that we revisit because it's a, it's an uncomfortable topic, and I like the fact that we try to touch on some uncomfortable topics. Yeah, because it is good to kind of have honest conversations. And I think a lot of what people are afraid to do nowadays is have a fucking honest conversation. And I think if you have an honest conversation with your heart in the right place and you're not trying to bash people for the color they were born or the place they were raised exclusively, you know, you can have these conversations and try try to improve and get better personally. And and again, maybe we can all learn something from that. It's that great line from Bill Bradley, the basketball player, New Jersey senator who ran for president in uh, 84, 88. And he asked that great question. When is it? I've never forgotten it. When is the last time you had a conversation about race with someone from another race? It's a great question. Yeah. So somehow we killed an hour. So do you have comedy? Uh, no, but I did get bring some five-star reviews. Do you have a joke? Well, yeah. Well, so here, I'm going to start real simple. So uh, my birthday was the other day, and uh, I got some wonderful gifts. No, they, they were they were kind of gag gifts, and they were decent. <laughs> but I got best dad jokes. So I'm going to be Ooh, stealing nice. some out of there, but I'll start with this one. You know the difference between a dad joke and a bad joke? No. One letter. <laughs> nice. So we'll stand. That's brought to you by Berea Pond, yes? Yeah, Berea Pond. Thanks a lot for our friends at Berea Pond. We're just going to put it on the calendar in six weeks from now. We're going to have 30-second produced ads for everybody. 
hopefully sooner than that. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, check out our buddy Aaron at Berea Pond, BuckshotLed.com. If you're listening in Berea, 107 Clay Drive, there's a great bunch of furniture that if you're listening, you need to go buy. I was just telling Dan and the guys at Bad Wolf um, that they've got a pretty awesome Mortal Kombat arcade game over there. Oh, cool. I want to buy it. I hope somebody buys it so I don't because I will go below 500 bucks on this arcade game just because it's so it's worth freaking it. cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he gets some really, really cool stuff. Over ar- an arcade game? It's an actual arcade uh, game that you would, like, you know. Yeah, I'll get for Daniel. Man, be pretty cool. Yeah, so so check out uh, Berea Pond. Tell Aaron you heard us here. And we sure appreciate 107 Clay Drive Berea. When I say here, I mean Bad Wolf Gaming, yes. which now is our Bad Wolf Gaming Studios, I guess. Bad Wolf uh, Gaming Studios. Check them out, 859-646-6061-7-11 Chestnut Street. You may walk in and we'll be recording a freaking podcast. Absolutely. So, yeah, check out Bad Wolf. A lot of cool gaming stuff, magic. Yu-Gi-Oh, all the card stuff that I don't know much about, but if you're listening and you do, you're going to freaking love it here. And, of course, Nate with Stove Leg Media. You cannot beat uh, Nate. He's got some great podcasts in the in the uh, Stove Leg umbrella. So check out Nate and uh, some of the stuff he's working with. And then, of course, Troy at FrontPortStudios.com. Uh, Troy, we've got to get you a new spot here, too, so we can have some cool stuff about your website. And uh, you can check it out before we tell you any more about it at FrontPorchStudios.com. And before I get to the actual reviews and before we sign out, did you see Trump's interview this week where he said uh, he actually blamed Hillary's emails for Mar-a-Lago? No, I didn't actually. Really? you got to no. check it out. So he actually said... I saw where he thought I could think that they were declassified, but I didn't see Hillary's emails. Same, same interview. Same interview? Okay. He I said, must have gotten bored. <laughs> He, he actually said it was Shan- uh, Hannity. Hannity, yeah, in the Hannity interview, they were actually looking for Hillary's emails. That's what they were doing there. And so Sean sort now, of now he's got to be it's got to be a joke, right? Sean kind of pauses and says, "You know, come on, like you're, you're not. no, Sean. I'm telling you, it's it's they they never turned up. Hillary's emails never turned up. They're trying to find the emails." They thought maybe they were here. They're not. It's only, you know, correctly stored documents by me. Right? I mean, it's, I mean, and maybe it's it's a good sense of humor and I'm just being approved. That just seems a little unhinged, right? Yeah, like, it's a little unhinged Obviously, he sticks to it. He's like when to, you've got Sean Hannity in doubt, I mean, yeah. he's so far up Trump's ass, it's, you know. Right, so he's trying to pivot, you know, he's trying to remind people that Hillary's emails exist, which I guess he's doing, because we're talking about it. Fucking shit, that was, it was pretty out there. So, oh, I may have to Google that, YouTube. And- yeah, check it out, man. You, you have to watch that. So, actual five-star reviews. So, we, we asked one of the ways you guys... how many of these we get. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, with how few listeners and how many five star views yeah. you you think it would be kind of uh, you know, the same level. different. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I think a lot more people review than actually listen. Which is kind of strange. But uh, these are actual five star views. The way you can help us out, guys, if you would jump on Spotify or Apple or any of these uh, platforms, give us a five star view. We really appreciate it. And when you do that, we will read it on the air. So this week we've got five from Spotify. So number one, uh, this is from at Jordan's Sheep Alabama writes. Your podcast is the candy corn of podcasts. Five stars. I don't like candy corn. So oh, I love it. Do you really? Yeah, it's only once a year. Though. So it's a compliment. Yeah, it's a compliment. I kind of took it as shitty. But uh, no, no, I like it. Compliment it is. The little right. Halloween stuff, right? Yep, yeah. that's it. So at Troy Money 88 writes, now I think this is Troy, our producer, writes, as the producer of the show, I feel obligated to leave a five-star review. Five stars. So not much there, but we appreciate Troy leaving the five-star review. <laughs> Uh, I love lamp. Twenty one says, "Can you just do an episode that is Ray eating cashews the entire time?" <laughs> I wonder if that would get more listeners. Just fifty five minutes of you eating cashews, no conversation. And I can eat fifty five minutes worth of cashews. Man, cashews are nice. So thanks, I love lamp. Twenty one <laughs> stars. Um, <clears throat> this is from Trampstamp One writes. My father used to get really drunk and beat me and my mother brutally. We finally got the courage to change our names and move across the country. For the next five years, we lived in daily fear that he would find us and kill us. It was extremely traumatic to the point that my mother was heavily medicated and in and out of psychiatric hospitals trying to heal from the post-traumatic stress. Your podcast is only slightly worse than that. Five stars. Wow. That was pretty intense. That was almost too much. All right. And the last one here, number five. I'm a great judge of talent, and you guys are phenomenal. 
writes, at R. Kelly forever. Oh, okay. Well, thanks, at R. Kelly forever. We appreciate that. Leave us a review, guys. We sure appreciate it. And we definitely appreciate our sponsors, Bad Wolf Gaming, Front Forge Studios, Brewery Upon. And though he's not a sponsor, he's our guy, Nate. It's so like me. Yes, yes. Check us out on Facebook. Leave a review. Uh, send us an angry email. We probably deserve it. And we hope this sounds good. New studio, some new hardware, some new software. So we're, it's still a bit of a work in progress. And that's why there haven't yet been guests. Um, but we're hoping to get some guests in here soon because God knows you've heard enough of our blabbing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and hopefully this thing's moving forward. So, you know, five-star review. Send it to us. Thanks a lot, Ray. Have a great week, man. Thanks for listening to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. We hope you had fun and look forward to taking on another topic next week.